Please rise for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Hear now God's word. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. As I was thinking about this particular sermon, which is about putting on the new man, Uh, I think I can assert, as I perhaps could assert about many lessons from the Bible, but this one in particular, whatever your problems are, if you will take heed to what we're about to hear, they can be fixed. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, if you don't take heed, if it goes in one ear and out the other, if it doesn't, if you don't let it ruminate, if you don't let it take root, then it won't help you at all. It'll just be another sermon, another check mark, another thing that we can push behind us and go on living like we're living. But if you came here to be changed, to be transformed, to grow in Christ, then I urge you to pay careful attention to the words of Scripture today. The last time we were together, we looked at the difference between justification and sanctification. Remember, the first is an act of God, as the Catechism says, an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. In other words, this is a one-time act of God It is our spiritual resurrection. The old man is replaced by the new man. We are set free. We were were slaves to sin, and now we have been set free. Like birth, this is the beginning of a new life that is to be lived out. But life involves a growth process. This is the second part of our salvation called sanctification, or as the Shorter Catechism puts it, it is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. In other words, this is a process. And you can't have justification without sanctification. And if you don't have sanctification, then you're not justified. The two necessarily go together. If you're alive, then you will live. You will breathe. You will move. You will be active. That's the evidence that you're alive. That you were born. So the old man has been put off. That's justification. But since we are tempted to put him back on. I thought about this. My wife, I'm sure, would amen this. I have certain clothes, certain shirts that I like, um, too much. They're well-worn, and if I have a choice and I go to the closet, that's the one I go for. And so she will, in a very humble
humble and gracious way, go out and buy me a new shirt. And say, hey, I bought you a new shirt. It's, it's, a, it's a nice hint that you ought to wear something else. But I still like that old shirt, even though it's worn out and they have holes in it and a few stains on it. It's, it's a comfort thing. It's what I'm used to. And the new one is not, hadn't been broken in yet. It, it feels a little odd. It's like getting a new mattress or something. And initially, if you bought a new mattress and you had that experience, you know, when you first get it, it just, it's just not your mattress yet. It takes a while for it to conform to you. But then at some point when you travel, you think, oh, if I could just get back to my bed, my mattress, then everything would be great. Well, taking off the old and putting on the new is a little bit like that. The old's been taken off, but we're tempted to want to go back to it. It's, a, it's what we're used to. It's our habit. And so... Uh, again, like that slave who's been set free but still lives like a slave, that's the second part of this problem. And so the new man uh, is to be put on but must continue to be put on. And we have to get used to our new clothes. They must become our favorite thing. Now, there's an interesting phrase here that Paul puts in the middle between taking off the old man and putting on the new man. And what he says is, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Before we can take off the old man and put on the new, he, he has this essential middle step. The spirit of the mind has to be renewed. And I fear for some that this might be the critical thing that's missing. The reason I fear this is because sometimes, for some of you, I don't see a self-conscious effort to love the things of God. Their background, they're, they're, uh, they're perhaps they're in your life somewhere, but they're not at the center. It's the minimalist approach. What's the least I can do and still go to heaven? For example, some want to talk about their Christian life, their struggles, their desire to grow, what they're reading, what they got out of a sermon or a lesson their interest in serving. How can I help? You know, often I hear those expressions. That's a good thing. That's an indication of, of life. But others, year after year, never mention such things. I never hear them refer to a book they're reading or something they read in the Bible. I never hear them comment one way or the other about a lesson or a sermon. They're here. So I'm hopeful but I want to see some signs of life. I want to see at least a toe wiggle. I want to see something that indicates an active living the Christian life. How could they be renewed in the spirits of their mind and yet have so little interest in spiritual things? And so to be renewed is to be restored to a previous condition. Man was created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness... And sin wrecked all of that. It corrupted man in every way, in his mind, in his emotions, in his will, in his body, his soul. Thus, if he is to be saved, he will have to be renewed or restored. This renewal has a beginning as well as an ongoing work. It begins with a major change in the way that we think or perceive of God of the way we look at ourselves, of the way we look at the world. 
But then that grows, that continues to expand. We mature in that perception. We get to know God better. We come to understand ourselves better because the Bible tells us. And we began to see more about how the world is operating and what it's doing. And so as Christians, we've been brought back to where we were, if you will, with respect to our minds, the way we think about things. The fall devastated our minds. We no longer think straight. Now, it's not that you know, we're necessarily stupid. There are plenty of smart people. There are people we call geniuses. They have high IQs, an ability to, to learn things, to recall things, to assemble things, to do some pretty amazing things. But that's not the issue here. It's the problem of how we look at those things and whether we see them the way they were intended to be seen. We grope around in darkness seeking answers everywhere but in God's Word. I think sometimes for many professing Christians, there is a kind of spiritual homeopathy that drives us uh, rather than going to the great physician. I understand sometimes the, uh, the dislike or distrust of doctors. Sorry, Dr. Sal. But you know that. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes people, believe it or not, don't trust preachers for good reason. Okay? But the great physician is the perfect doctor, the perfect physician. And he's the last one we go to. We go to all kinds of other remedies. We'll go to anything and everything, but we won't go to him. Because we don't really believe he's competent either. And so, our fundamental way of thinking is twisted and inward. We, we know things are wrong, but the main problem is that our perspective on those things are, that are wrong is wrong. Our main problem is that our perspective on the things that are wrong is wrong. Our perspective is wrong. And so, the world is a mess, and you're a mess, because we don't know how to think straight. And so, the very first thing of the gospel, the good news, is that we must be renewed in the spirits of our mind, in the spirit of our mind, so that we can start thinking straight. Do you remember what uh, Genesis chapter 6 says about the condition of the world just before the flood? 6.5, Genesis 6.5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is God's diagnosis of all of our problems. Our, the thoughts of our hearts have to be renewed. You say, I've got this problem. I just can't overcome it. It's, just, it's overcoming me. Then you're not thinking about it right. You're not thinking about it the way God says to think about it. You don't see it as sin. You're not dealing with it the way God says to deal with it. You don't have the right perspective. You don't have the right attitude. Because if you did, if you went to God's Word and said, how does God's Word apply to this relationship, to this situation, and you started doing that, there would be dramatic change in you first and in the situation next. We'll see how that unfolds, for example, in the life of Paul. Now, this is not talking about changing our brains. There will always be differences between people. Some people are smarter than others in math or language or art or any number of other things. We're not talking about mental capacity. We are talking about mental perspective. 
What we receive in Christ is a new spirit that controls and directs our minds. Our minds used to go in the wrong direction, and now we perceive a new direction. To change the metaphor, we can now see what we couldn't see and hear what we couldn't hear before. We not only think different things, we are enabled to think in new ways. The old man can look at the world and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The person with a renewed mind is much more like David in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. And the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. See, one person looks at the world, sees no God. The other looks at the world with a renewed mind and says, God's everywhere. I see his fingerprints on everything. I see his glory manifest right here on the little things, the most minute things, and in the grand, infinite things. The spirit of the mind has changed. He has a new perspective on everything. And this is certain if the mind has been renewed, it will quickly show up in the outward actions of the person. They talk different. They act different because they are different. And the apostle is reminding these Ephesian Christians, as I'm reminding you, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Remember we've already read in this chapter Uh, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, a self, uh, a sensuous life, a life that's lived based on feeling. What do I want right this minute? With a renewed mind, we are now ready to put on the new man. Wouldn't you like to be a brand new person? Wouldn't you like to start over and do it better? Wouldn't you like to stop doing things in ignorance? Well, then you will need to start acting like what you are. You're a new man. Start by reminding yourself of what you are in Christ. Oh, I can't. I can't do that. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Yes, you can. Well, kind of. He can. He's in you. You belong to Him. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Right? You believe that, don't you? What if every time you bumped into a problem, I had a situation, that was the first words that came out of your mouth. You know, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm shaky, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So be it. I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm a little scared. I'm a little shaky. 
But my first thought, my first words is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There should not be a contradiction between what you are and how you live. You have, you have to actually act like a Christian, a true, sincere, and honest follower of Jesus. A Christian husband, father, wife, mother, child, brother, sister, friend. You say, I don't know how, but you do know how. And it's time to connect what you know with what you actually do. Put on the new man. That means if you will self-consciously, that means you will think about it, that you have a plan, that you will self-consciously react, respond, speak, and behave like God tells you to, then you will do what? Just I'm going to give a really short sample. We talked about some of this Wednesday night. You mean, okay, I'm going to now start acting like a Christian. I will rejoice in and for all things, even the trials. I will give thanks for all things, even the hard things. I will turn the other cheek. I will bless those who curse me. I will not return insult for insult, but a blessing instead. I will not be anxious for anything. I will let no unwholesome word proceed from my mouth, but only words that are good for edification or building up. We could go on and on. You know what? If you would just do that, so I, that's what I'm, I may not be perfect. I'm going to have to get used to this. This is new. But that is what I'm committed to doing in this situation, in these situations. Do I need to memorize some scripture so it will remind me to do it? Yep, that's what it takes. These are impossible things for the old man to do, but they are totally possible for the new man. That's a different story because you can do all things through Christ. What was impossible for the old man is more than possible for the new man. The newness is a newness in quality. In every respect, those, old, those new clothes are not laid out on the bed for you simply to admire. You're not saving them for the ball. They're there for you to wear today. Put on the new man and get happy. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth, Jesus says. This is certain, Jesus says. You can bank on it. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come expect, except to steal and to kill and destroy. Why did he come? I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Are you having abundant life? Have you heard his voice? Are you listening to him? Are you paying attention to what he says? 
Because if you do, if you follow the shepherd, he leads you to green pastures. Your cup runs over. Those are not just nice poetic words. He said, assuredly, I tell you this. This is the truth. But you've got to act on it. Notice that Paul says this new man was created according to God. A new creation indicates something that is in complete contrast with the old. Remember, he said the old man grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. The old is, is adding up and decaying and dying. The new is all about beginnings and living and growing. Which of those describes you? Are you growing and maturing and so you see this abundant life unfolding? Or are you decaying and falling apart? Then you got the old man on if that's the case. Creation makes something out of nothing. The new man is not produced out of the old man. This is not a renovation of an old house. We've watched more than a few episodes of Fixer Upper and some of those other shows on the Do-It-Yourself network. But every now and then I notice they've got one, one of the old houses that is so bad. And they, after they've bought it, they realize that the foundation is cracked and the wood is eaten up with termites. And so they just tear it down and start over. Pour a new slab. Put up a new frame. Well, sometimes the house is so bad and such a state of decay that it has to be completely replaced. And that's what God does for us. So we're not trying to gradually improve the old man. We're replacing him with a new man. Or should I say God is replacing the old man with a new man. We're not looking for a better version of the old you. Paul has already made this clear at Ephesians 2.10. For we, he says, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says the same thing when he tells us we've been made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Same idea that Paul's talking about. The unbeliever, corrupt because of lust. Paul, uh, Peter says, you've, got, you've been given the divine nature. This is supernatural. Paul is even more explicit when he writes to the Corinthians and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That means all the relationships, your relationship to people, family, friends, things, yourself. How you look at all of those has changed. It's become new. If you're a genuine Christian then these things are true of you, and they are true of you as you sit here right this minute. If you fail to realize this, then this is the only, that this is the only way you will ever come to the fulfillment and true enjoyment of the Christian life. If you're waiting for all the externals of your life to be just right before you get happy in Jesus, then I have some really bad news for you. But the real power of the gospel is that it enables us to get happy even in the worst of conditions. 
And so even the Apostle Paul, who knew something of real hardship, he could say, and notice how parallel this is to our text today, the 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, Therefore we do not lose heart. You ever lose heart? He said, no, we don't. Why? Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is, it's not just there for nothing. He said, it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, this renewed mind gives us a renewed perspective, the ability to look at whatever is going on in our lives and say, God is at work in this to teach me, to make me more like Christ. Maybe he wants me to be more patient or kind or generous or just show more grace to other people. You say, but this person, yeah, well, that's the person God put in your life and now God wants you to act like Christ toward them. How did Christ act toward you? What kind of person were you? Think that's easy? Now he, he creates us this new man, in true righteousness and holiness. Remember, Paul said in verse 20 that truth is in Jesus. The old man was controlled by his desires or lust. In other words, he was controlled by a lie. He calls it the deceitfulness of lust. He has lost all true perspective on God himself and the world. Man was created in righteousness, but sin threw all of that out of balance. And so man no longer saw the world right, or himself right, or God right. He was brought, he, uh, to be brought back to the beginning, which is to the place of righteousness, rightness, is to be made right. It is to gain true perspective. It's to see things as they really are, not as we imagine them to be. The antithesis of the old man, who is ruled by his deceitful lust, is the new man who has been renewed in the spirit of his mind and, is, and, it, and now has the truth. Things have been put right. He is now righteous. He is holy. That is, he has been put back in his right place. To be holy is to be separate, to be in the place where God wants us to be. This is what truth does. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, and my, uh, then, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you in bondage right now? Are you under a cloud? Are you in chains? Are you trapped? Jesus said, if you know me, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, it's interesting, Paul applies that to himself even while he was literally in chains and in bondage, in jail. He still was free. And he understood that. As Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, he says to the Father, in regard to you and me, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth, your word is truth. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, 
God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so the old man can't see the truth. He's blind. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And I just like to say it so often as Christians. I'm guilty. I think many of you are guilty of this sometimes. You know what the Bible says. You even could recite the words, but you don't believe it. You don't think it'll work. You don't think that if you actually did turn the other cheek that it would accomplish what you think it ought to accomplish. And so we're just like the unbeliever there. We don't believe God. We don't think it's the truth. We think it's quaint or whatever, but it's not the truth. If it's the truth, then act on it. Stand on it. Jump up and down on it. It will support you, and it will do what it says it will do. You have to put on the new man. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as truth is in Jesus. You have to put on the new man. You have the truth. You can see the truth. As Romans 6.17 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or truth to which you were delivered. I started doing what God says to do with my sin. Confessing it, repenting of it. I started treating other people the way God says to treat them. All of a sudden things changed. They got better. When the mind has been renewed, the life is transformed. God is holy. And He is not satisfied until we're holy. I, I like a quote I remember some years ago. Uh, maybe a slight paraphrase, but I think it was from R.C. Sproul's book on the holiness of God. He says, God is far more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. I think it's because God knows that the only way you'll ever be happy is to first be holy. God is holy, and he wants us holy. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Second Peter 3.13, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The truth that Jesus is revealing is about the Father. It's all about bringing us to the Father. And John tells us, for the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And Jesus tells Pilate, I was born for this cause. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus came to bring us to the Holy Father to a knowledge of Him. Now, again, this new man that you are in Christ, which, and this problem of this temptation to go back and put on the old clothes, stop it. Put on the new man. Self-consciously. Think about it. Throw away those old clothes. 
Now, I want to close today, as I've done often. I've benefited so much from Dr. Lloyd-Jones' commentary on the book of Ephesians that I want to read a reminder that was helpful to me as I came, uh, I found this in, in one of his commentaries. Reminds us of the holiness of God and his view of sin that I think we too often take lightly. Remember also God's revealed determination to punish sin. That is what I learn in the truth. He had made man in his own image and likeness, but when that same man rebelled against him and disobeyed and listened to the voice of the devil, he drove him out of the Garden of Eden and set the cherubim and the flaming sword to prevent his return. That is how God dealt with the man that he himself had made after his own image and likeness. God punishes sin because he hates it, and it's an intrusion into his holy universe. Read also the flood, about the flood, how he destroyed the whole earth apart from one family of eight. Go on and read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Go on and read about his treatment of the children of Israel, the nation that he had made for himself and fashioned for his own delight, though they are his own people. He drives them away into the captivity of Babylon and sends them into Assyria and he raises up heathen nations to destroy them and chastise them. He is punishing sin. Next, read the teaching of the Son of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will find that he exhorts people to flee from the wrath to come. He talks about the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, where an eternal gulf is fixed and where the evil and the impenitent spend their eternity in suffering. Go on to the book of Revelation and you will find that nothing unclean or vile will be allowed to enter through the gates into that holy city. Without our dogs and sorcerers and all that work iniquity, not inside, but ever out, driven out and kept out and remaining out, God has revealed this. This is part of the truth. You do not wait for an experience. You read the word of God and study it. You have got a nature now that enables you to do so and to receive it and to take it. Put on the new man. He is created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with shame for having not lived like you have done anything for us. We also come with thanksgiving knowing that you have actually done everything for us. Help us to see with new eyes, to truly hear what you have said, and to stand on the promises you've given to us. We too often act like poor little rich kids, moping around in the midst of abundance, self-centered instead of living with joy. Help us to live in the new clothes you've provided and to not return to the rags of the old man. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. sermon is intended to be a bit like a mirror, and so now is a good time to check and see which man you are wearing. What do you look for? How do you know which man you're wearing? 
Well, this parallel passage from Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 might help. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Here's the old man. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you have put off the old man and his deeds. And I think that list gives us a summary of the kinds of things that we would see if we're looking in this mirror. See if we're wearing the old man. And have... And then he goes on, he says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So as you look in that mirror, do you see Christ? Is that how he acts? Is that how he responds? Is that how he talks? Your baptism means something, or it should. You bear the name of the triune God. You are the sons of God, so live like it. Romans 6, 1-4, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. The new man. A resurrected man. And so now we come to the table to remember that. To make fresh commitments. The table is a great place for us to... Come right now, having heard these words from the Bible, having had an opportunity to think about them, to now come to eat this meal together in communion and to resolve by the grace of God to go forth and to live wearing the new man and having taken off the old. O Lord, grant that we may not be conformed to the world, but may love, love, but may love you and serve you. Grant we may never shrink from being the instruments of your peace, and that we may show our love for you as we show love for our neighbors. Open our eyes to notice the needs that we have so frequently walked past. Open our mouths to comfort. Move our bodies to serve and grant us generous hearts to give. May we remember the poor and the prisoner and the sick and the lonely as we remember Christ who is in them all. Make us, O Lord, the instruments of your love, that we may bring comfort to those who sorrow and joy to those who are regarded as persons of little account. Give us love for all kinds of people, regardless of their race or age or station in life. Help us, Lord, even to love our enemies. Make us more joyful than we are, especially if this is needed for the sake of others. Let us remember our many experiences of joy and thankfulness. Make us the instruments of your love. Make us lights in the world that men might see our good works and glorify you. 
Bless now our rest and our feast. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen.